This is the Rebel Author Podcast, where we talk about books, business, and occasionally bad words. Hello, Rebels, and welcome to the Rebel Author Podcast, episode 45. Today, I'm talking to Lisa Lepke from Pro Writing Aid, uh, the software that you can use for editing, all about how to self-edit your manuscript. And also, we delve into characters and generally a bit of editing word nerdery. I am absolutely in love with Pro Writing Aid's software. I um, signed up for it uh, after chatting to Lisa and holy crap, I am literally completely in love with it. I have um, paid for a year's uh, subscription, but I can assure you I am going to be paying for the lifetime subscription once that's over. Um, Yeah, I, I am a big fan, so I can't wait for you guys to hear that interview. First, let's talk about last week's question, which was, what method of publishing are you following or would you like to follow? We had a stack of answers, so thank you as always to everybody who responded. Ritty said, I'm publishing as an indie. I'd be lying if I didn't have a tiny part of me that loved uh, to be discovered. And I I get it. I I agree. As I've mentioned before on the podcast, at some point, I think I will try and pursue traditional publishing just because I, I, you know, I want to win an award. I want my writing to be recognised and be good enough for that. So, um you know, those awards aren't really accessible or not as easily accessible as an indie. Um, But it's got to be at a point where um, I guess money no longer, you know, isn't, you know, I'm more comfortable financially because um, (laughs) there's not as many financial rewards down the traditional route, you know, as far as I can see. You have to be a bit of a a lightning in a bottle to um, get the six figure, uh, you know, whatever they're called. Um, oh God, what are they called? <laughs> words. What are words? Anyway, moving on. Kari Busiak said, hybrid, I think, for my Celtic colouring books, I'd like to augment my traditionally published books with more self-published books. And as for my novels, I'd like to try the traditional route. I've done commercial Celtic art for so long. And I know exactly how much work it is to do it all yourself, going the um, self-publishing route. Um, I'd like to try the traditional route where someone else takes that on. I've made a pact with myself, however, where if a particular novel doesn't get traction uh, where I want to make it a series, uh, then I'll give it a shot in self-publishing. So I get that also. What I would say is don't underestimate the amount of work you'll be expected to do on the marketing side uh, when you go with a traditional publisher. I know that there is a lot of assumption that being uh, traditionally published, you won't have to do any marketing, but that's just not true, especially... um, for the debut authors and for the authors who are mid-list, typically you have to do a lot of the marketing yourself. Once you're established as um, a, a, a successful traditionally published author, um, or unless you are the lightning flash in the bottle getting the six-figure... Um, the fuck is that called? Contract? No, it's not contract. You know what I mean. Anyway, um, unless you're getting the the golden handshake, then the chances are you are going to have to do um, a good chunk of your marketing by yourself. And just bear in mind that it's harder to get a return on your investment financially because you are getting such low royalties. 
Matthew Goodall said, I'm indie because I can retain the rights and control and the profit margin is greater. And when I pass on, my children will be able to manage the IP and benefit from it in a greater way than if it was filtered through trad. Uh, that said, if a trad publisher offered me a filthy sum of money with film rights and credits attached, then I'm sure the money whore in me would rear its ugly head. Which <laughs> I did have a giggle when I um, read that. I yeah, I completely get it because uh, I'm pretty sure the money whore in me agrees with you and would do exactly the same if I was you know spontaneously offered six hundred, not six hundred, a hundred six figure sum for a book that I'd just written. Okay, moving on. Yanni says, I'm compiling a list of potential agents and publishers and planning to uh, be querying in the next few weeks. No matter how grueling it is, I want to give it a go. Uh, Tom Fowler said, I'm indie all the way. I want the control. I'm able to publish the books when I want, uh, the books I want when I want, and I don't have to settle for a percentage of the royalties. Uh, and he says, an even smaller one once you factor in paying an agent. Exactly. Thank you to um, all of the commenters. We had Edwin, Victoria, Amy, April, and many more. So thank you guys for commenting. I always love reading your thoughts and um, that's, that's why I asked the weekly questions. So yes, thank you. This week's question is, what writing or editing software do you use? Obviously, I've just mentioned that I am now a firm user of ProWritingAid and I also use Scrivener. Um, yeah, yeah, so what, uh, software do you guys use? My book recommendation for this week is uh, my latest book launch, which I know is sort of snuck out of um, the blue. I've not really mentioned it, but this is the book that I was co-writing for a while. I know I did mention that on the podcast. Um, and this is the book that I have co-written with Jay Thorne, or one, it's the first of two that I've co-written. And it's called Nine Things Career Authors Don't Do, rebel mindset and if you're listening to this in real time then tomorrow there will be a second bonus mini episode this week talking all about um the rebel mindset book and uh yeah yeah what's in it and some tips and tricks and things like that so the book link is in the show notes go grab a copy my wonderful little rebels in personal update this week, um, I finished Trey last week. I can't actually believe it. Um, so I know at the time of recording last time, I was talking about um, the book that I recommended last week, Be a Writing Machine. And um, in conjunction with Chats with Dan, um, I, I just unblocked a lot of shit and managed to get to the end of the book, which is such good news because I really did think that was, that was going to, you know, be the end of me writing fiction. Um, so yes, I also had so many revelations that I feel like I might do a mini episode on it. I'm not sure. It just depends on my time. My time is very limited at the moment, but I would really like to just, I guess, reflect and, um, be able to share some of the warning signs uh, that things were going wrong and how to spot them and what to do about them. So yes, I might well do that. Um, what else? So obviously <laughs> book launch next week, which I have mentioned, and you'll find out more about tomorrow, which is fantastic. Um, oh yes, because obviously at the time of, um, if you're listening to this in real time, then it is tomorrow that the book launches which is nine things career authors don't do rebel mindset, just to get the name in one more time. 
I have also started filming the Anatomy of Prose companion course, uh, which is super exciting. Um, it is so much more work than I ever anticipated, but I'm hoping it's going to be really useful for you guys. Um, and I think I'll do like um, either a Facebook group or a Slack or something for all of the course students to be able to chat about, um, I guess, the exercises and, and stuff that they're doing in the course. What else? Um, I've also been going back to business ba basics, redoing my autoresponders. Um, I'm creating sort of a mini filmed course as well. It will all be in um, text, but also doing some videos just to bring it up to date, I suppose. Um, and and this is, sorry, this is because I'm moving from MailChimp to MailerLite. Um, yeah. Um, a couple of other things. I started working on the prequel novella for um, my series, my current series, which is exciting because I get to try out my new writing process, which is going very well. Um, and I've already got about, I don't know, several thousand words in the um, book. So yeah, I'm amazed at how fast I'm able to write now that I've lifted some of those process barriers. Um, one other thing I would be very, very grateful if anybody who has read The Anatomy of Prose would go and leave a review on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Kobo or wherever you purchased a copy of the book. And actually, um, if you've read any of my books and you haven't left a review yet, then I would be super grateful if you would be able to hop over and do that. I don't normally make requests like that, but... Um, as I'm sure you guys all know, reviews are super helpful, super are super important for the social proof and tickles the, alg uh, the Amazon algorithms as well. So yes, I would be grateful if you would go and do that. Um, I think that's that's probably it. Um, just a reminder that the discount code um, for Pro Writing Aid is Rebel Twenty Five for all listeners. If you would like to go and try out the software. Listener Rebel of the Week this week is Rosaire Bushy. Rosaire says, so my rebel story may not be a true rebel story, but I'm the youngest of seven and growing up there was a story in the family that while uh, she never explicitly confirmed, my mother never expressly denied it either. And while there is obvious reason to doubt, I think most people who know me would entertain the possibility that it's true. The story is thus. When I was getting ready to go to uh, go into the first grade, I was five uh, and I was five or six years old. My parents took me to the local Catholic school to sign up. I was not cooperative. At one point in the proceedings, I allegedly punched a nun in the in the stomach and told her. Oh, so sorry, I can't get through this. And told her to go fuck herself. <laughs> I really shouldn't laugh. Okay, get a grip, get a grip. The story continues that they had to take me home and my father had to bribe me with a model kit so they could sign me up the next day. I absolutely love... I'm sorry, I've completely lost my mind. I absolutely love this story. Um, because it's so naughty and so outrageous. Oh, Sorry, sorry, sorry. Right, I'm getting a grip. Um, yeah, oh my God, fantastic story. Absolutely loved it. Um, I really hope that it is true as well. Whew. 
If you would like to be a Rebel of the Week, please do send in your story. It can be any kind of rebellion, big, small, or somewhere in between. You can email your story to rebelauthorpodcast at gmail.com or tweet me at rebelauthorpod. No new patrons this week, but a huge thank you to all my current patrons. As always, you guys make me feel like what I do is worthwhile, and of course, you help to keep the podcast running. If you would like to support the show and get early access to all of the episodes, as well as um, bonus content, then you can from as little as $2 a month by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black, and that's Sasha with a C and not an S. Okay, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome back to the Rebel Author Podcast. Today I am joined by Lisa Lepke. Lisa is Pro Writing Aid's Head of Marketing and the editor of the Pro Writing Aid blog. A word nerd, she loves the technical elements of writing almost as much as she uh, loves the writing itself. She is the co-author of the novel writing training plan, Creating Legends, How to Craft Characters Readers Adore or Despise, and 20 editing tips from professional writers. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having me today. No, you're most welcome. It's so lovely to finally put um, a face and a voice to uh, the name and all the email correspondences we've had. So yes, it's lovely to have you um, on the podcast. So can you can you tell everyone a little bit about your journey, um, how, you, how you came to work for Pro Writing Aid, and also a bit more about your writing. Are you also writing fiction? Do you stick with nonfiction? Um, yeah, tell us how you got to where you are today. Okay, sure. So, so I've always written. I was one of those kids that always had a journal on the go. I still in my closet have, you know, a pile of about 30 journals that I got through through my life that I can't actually read. I find them so painful and kind of embarrassing <laughs> to read, but they are there. Um, but I never really thought that I could be a writer. The whole idea just seemed impossible for me you know like it's what Margaret Atwood does it doesn't what does it's not what I can do um so I ended up doing a a degree initially in international development studies and anthropology and then after that I did an MA in arts administration and I ended up doing a lot of writing in that sort of role I worked um doing PR and marketing for arts um organizations um everybody from the Royal Albert Hall down to just you know comedians and everybody in the middle um, and, and I really loved the writing there, but again, still, it didn't feel like actual real writing. Press releases felt, you know, like what I did at work. Um, and it was only when I started working for Pro Writing Aid. So um, Chris, who started Pro Writing Aid, is a really old friend of mine. We met on a bus in Vietnam about 25 years ago. Oh, wow. And he had just asked me if he would help, if I would help him with this little thing that he had started up you know, for a couple of months just to get things um, just to help him find some users. He had, there was a couple thousand people using it at the time. Um, and so I said, okay, sure. And, and I started, one of the things that we decided to do was put together a blog. Cause I know that writers love reading about writing and, and writing about writing and, you know, learning about their craft. And so initially it was just me just writing some things for the blog. Um, just helping people understand concepts. And, and because I'm not trained in, I don't have an English degree. And so a lot of it was me learning, you know, what is passive voice, for example. And then I would try and write an article that helped other people learn what I had just learned. Um, and it sort of grew from there. Um, we, we'd we have a lot of people um, submitting articles that were like just illegible. <laughs> 
and I just weren't getting their points across and were really hard to read. And I realized that actually I can write as well or better than most of the people that were submitting to the blog. And so it sort of grew from there and it became, with pro writing, it became sort of my main focus for developing our community was just creating the resources that, that I would want. Because in, in some ways, I'm the ideal pro writing aid user, right? Like I love writing. I have a manuscript in my dresser drawer that I that I haven't finished editing yet. I've got. I love the idea of learning to be a great writer, and so we created this blog, and now all these books and and various resources, which were essentially what I would want to read. Um, yeah, and I think we've got something like 1200 articles on the blog now that just helps helps writers learn almost every element of the craft so that they get better. And I do write fiction a bit less now. I don't have a lot of spare time at the moment, but I do have um, a novel in my bedside drawer that I will get back to at some point. What genre is it? women's literature, I would say. Um, it's, it's, I, I hesitate to use the term um, chick lit because I think it's slightly, there's no shopping in it and there's none of that sort of stuff that, they, that people seem to think women want to read about. Um, but it's also not a really dense, I always thought I would write a really dense literary novel, but actually once I started writing, I realized that I, my style and what's more comfortable for me is much lighter. You, you, have to, you have to finish that novel. You know that, right? You have it's to finish it. It's finished. I just <gasps> need to edit it. Which... You have the perfect piece of software to help. So I know. I just don't have the time. Doing? That's the problem. <laughs> Pro Rating Aid started, like, it just, it's growing too big and too fast. And it's, it's taken over my life a bit right now. So eventually I will get back to it and I'll finish it. Oh, you heard it here first, guys. She, she's made it. She's committed. She's going to publish will. it. Yeah, I will. I promise. And when but you then... do, you have to come on to talk about it. Okay, I will. I will. Awesome. But I think my issue is the same issue that so many writers have is they get this. Was, I finished it before I started writing with or started working for Pro Writing Aid. And I think we hear I hear from writers all the time in our community that they've written it and they've got a first draft and then the the task of, of editing it just feels so monumental because, yeah. you know, it's 60,000 words, 70,000 words, something like that. Like, it just felt a bit daunting. And at the time, I didn't have, I didn't understand how that could be made, made less daunting. I didn't know how to do it in, in bite-sized pieces and where to begin and what to do in the same way that I do now. So I think now when I do go back to it, I'll be much more prepared mm. I, it's funny because I think each stage of this journey is huge each one is a mountain and that's why so many people yeah. don't get to publishing because when you start and you're on chapter one and you write your first sentence and you're like fuck there's like <laughs> god knows how many more sentences 60,000 70,000 more words and you're on yeah. word one it's enormous. It's a gigantic mountain to climb. Yeah. And then you finally finish and you're like, fuck, I have to go back and do that, like go through the whole thing again. And, yeah, so and learn a whole different set of skills. Exactly. And all those layers of editing, because it's not just, you, you can't just do one editing pass because you can't get everything. Well, unless you're, you know, unless you've done lots and lots of books, but, um, and then 
you finally finish it and either you have to attempt to go down the traditional publishing route or you have to learn how to self-publish which is a whole other mountain yeah but, i mean even the even the traditional publishing route takes a whole other level of skills learning how to pitch yeah. it learning how to you know navigate that whole world not, not yeah. signing away every single right again. yeah exactly exactly so yeah there are several several mountains but i do think that the editing mountain is is probably the trickiest in terms of skill level because i think the drafting phase is the hardest in terms of stamina editing is hardest in terms of skill and then publishing is hardest in terms of technical knowledge yeah although i think i think it varies a lot from writer to writer i think there are some writers who find who find that whole the initial writing stage really painful and then enjoy and actually kind of enjoy the polishing and the 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 initial ideas are out and so then the technical side of it requires less um creative wizardry and yeah. more just like getting down to the nuts and bolts of every sentence and how it works. I think there's a, I think there's a real mix. In fact, I might run a poll in my Facebook group to see mm. who prefers what stage of the, um, the journey. Okay. Let's, um, we are, I can tell this is going to be such a geeky conversation between us because <laughs> we both love like this whole thing so much. Um, I haven't even asked you a question yet. Uh, um, okay. What are your top three tips for editing your story? Okay. So I think, oh, I don't have any like just quick throw off tips, but I think the trickiest bit of self-editing is changing your mindset from reader from writer to reader because you as a writer know what you're trying to say in each sentence and you're focused on the ideas and forming the ideas and getting them across and then when you have to edit you have to completely change that and put yourself into the mind of your reader so are they going to be able to easily understand all of the ideas that you're getting across without having to work hard at it like my personal bad habit is that I write these really long winding sentences that contain all kinds of ideas and and they're grammatically perfect but they're like really hard to follow and I'll like put one idea I'll start one idea at the beginning of the sentence and then I'll try and squeeze another idea into the middle and then I'll put a comma in and I'll finish off that first idea and you know if you stop and read it really slowly you can follow it but ideally readers should be able to be getting your ideas without having to work at it otherwise mm. you just you lose them and you lose your momentum and so i think probably my first tip would be to simplify your writing as much as possible not your ideas i'm not saying you have to dumb it down and make your ideas really simple and you don't have to make your description you know that can still be really lush but the technical elements of your sentence construction should be simple so that your readers don't have to work at it oh i fully agree and th that's why you look at newspapers and typically their reading age is of a nine-year-old because that's generally where most populations reading level is but people people forget that that, that is yeah. the case i have the opposite problem my uh, my my ideas all work wonderfully in the sentence can't use a comma for shit <laughs> <laughs> I Never mean, been commas, able to do commas, commas are tricky because they're not that they're, they're not one of those rules where you have it right or you have it wrong. There's a lot of comma use that is. I mean, sometimes it can be wrong, but there's a lot of comma use that's just subjective. And I think sometimes people chuck a comma in. Well, I know for myself, I'll chuck a comma in in an attempt to make a complicated sentence 
make sense when I should actually be rewriting the sentence so that I don't even need that comma. So you don't need to have the pause in it. Absolutely. So any more, any more top tips for editing? Um, so, so like I was saying before, I think give yourself doable bite-sized editing tasks. Um, I think that's part of what I like about providing aid is that it sort of can give you direction. And so now when I'm editing something, I will just go through an entire, like the entire book, for example, all the books that we have in the providing aid library, I will just spend one day where I just go through and get rid of all the passive voice or maybe not all of it. Sometimes it's, it's correct, but for the most part, I'll try and make all of the writing. So it's active and that's just what I'll do all day. And it makes sense to me. And at the end of the day, I'm done and I can put a check mark beside it. And then the next day I'll go through and use the repeats report. And I'll suddenly realize that I've used all of a sudden 16 times in my book. And so then I'll go back and I'll rewrite that and add a bit more variety or adverbs or whatever. And just turn it into bite size bits. Because if you just try and edit your whole book, there's no ending to it. And you never mm -hmm. really feel satisfied. If you're just trying to perfect everything from start to finish, there's no point where you get to give yourself a little check mark and say, great, well done. I've now eradicated all of this or this part of the book is perfect just I think it it's good for your mental well-being if you've got and for keeping up your momentum if you can give yourself little check marks oh I completely agree I love a reward system and I love a reward system. yeah right. like I know I always feel really childish when I admit that but I'm like yeah give me stickers and ticks and like rewards yeah. and I'm your girl you know yeah um, yeah well and one of the things that we're working on this is this is insider top secret information but the next thing that we're going to launch with pro writing it is called goals and so with every document we'll give you i think there's about 20 different targets like this is where you want to go and we'll be able to say the on these six you've already got a gold medal these ones you need a little bit further and so you'll be able to literally see those things moving up into your done area as you go through your book so oh that everyone God. just gets I those little it. pats on the back as they're editing. That yeah, is so amazing. That, hopefully by autumn, that'll be in your, in your software. That is amazing. Okay. What mistakes do you see writers making uh, in their editing or with their editing? They don't do it. They do an initial read through and they run a spell check and then they send it off to, to an editor, to a professional editor to try and do it. Or even worse, they send it off to an agent or a submissions team, um, assuming that a professional editor's job will be to fix up all of their errors. And I just don't, I just don't think that's the case. I'm a big believer that authors should be putting in the time and the effort to really thoroughly do a self-edit themselves. This isn't to say they don't need a human professional editor, they do, but I just think the manuscript that a writer gives to a professional editor should be tight, like as tight as they can make it. So that the editor, because editors are only ever going to spend so much time on your book and if they're, you know, fixing your syntax and correcting your grammar mistakes, they're just not going to go as deep as they will compared to if they if you send them a really well edited, really polished book, then they'll be able to go into the, the meat of it and look at your narrative and look at your characters and look at your overall structure. And you know, that, that's the key stuff where you need 
a, an actual human pair of eyes to read it and give you proper feedback because when you're you know it's the it's the forest you can't see the forest for the trees sort of element so you do need that external pair of eyes but authors can't that you can't get out of it you've got to do that initial self-edit yourself so i think that's the big mistake people and people send stuff to me all the time for the blog that that they haven't even bothered to polish at all and i just in the first paragraph if there's like a really basic mistake or even i mean i get them with spelling mistakes still and i'm just like no 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 i don't even finish it just no you just and submissions teams if you think that they read I mean, I don't know how many things every day. They're 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 not gonna they're gonna choose the writing that is already as close to publishable as possible, right? They the less work they have to do, the better. And so you're shooting yourself in in the foot if you're not putting in the time to make it as good as possible. Yeah, I completely agree. And I think that's such a good point you make about editors as well. So I do developmental editing and the better quality the manuscript, the better quality the feedback I can give, which sounds yeah. weird because you would hope that you're giving a complete standard across everything. And and I am. But if if a manuscript is riddled with very basic mistakes, you can't go into the detail the higher level things that need correcting until you have the foundations corrected, which is why it's so important that I personally think writers should get feedback from other writers before they then spend a lot of money with an editor. Um, you know, and, and the, so I just did a, a, an edit the other day and it was such a good quality manuscript that it meant that I could really go into detail to like, you know, polish that, cherry rather than having to shape and mold it not yeah. that I shape and mold as an editor but you know like, you know things like basic repetition or um disembodying uh, action from a from a subject you know mm -hmm. things like that you know basic things rather than being able to go into that detail of finessing your descriptions or finessing the characterization or, or whatever so yeah I think that's a really really good point yeah okay it's it's leading on this is a good segue actually so it's really hard as writers to get distance from our work and like you were saying you can't see the wood for the trees so what tips or tricks would you recommend for to, to help writers be able to see their mistakes well i mean the simplest thing is just a bit of time if you can put it away for I mean, even just for a few days, but for a couple of weeks, if you have the time to, to do that and, you know, <laughs> when you're going on holiday, you know, get, get it out of your brain so that when you, it's amazing what you can see when you go back, suddenly things that seemed really obvious in the beginning, you know, you realize that they aren't making sense. Um, but again, I mean, I don't want to keep coming back to providing aid. I know that's my job, but generally I think being able to turn your brain to focus on the technical elements, because it's such a different skill from the creative side of things. If you can go into technical mode for a bit and work on, you know, constructions and, and passive voice and all the rest of it, then when you go back and look again at the creative stuff, I think because it's such a different part of your brain, I think that gives you the same sort of distance and sort of rest as you had in the beginning and lets you see things in a different way I don't know what do you think yeah uh, no completely and I've just had a six month break from one of my manuscripts that I thought uh, so it's not finished it's 75k but I think it's probably going to hit 90 95 um 
and I I'd already edited that chunk and I've gone back and I'm like oh, for god's sake you know like I can see issues and problems with it just because I've had time away the other yeah. thing that I do is I read on a kindle so usually so oh, yeah. so so I draft in Scrivener but with a yellow background okay. and quite often I will then edit in word on a white background because that will change and then I always do a read and proof on a Kindle because again it's another screen a different screen it's a different font yeah. so um I just try to that that's the only the I mean over time that's how I've it's what I've fallen into doing I suppose but it, yeah. I feel like it makes a difference because they're different you're not staring at the same screen um yeah, yeah, I agree. The other thing that I've started doing more of is I have an extension um, on my computer that will read text out loud to me. Ooh, and yeah. I and I haven't tried it on a really on long form text yet. I haven't tried it on a manuscript. But now for emails and for social posts and for all of that sort of thing, I listen to it and like almost every time when I listen to it, I find an error that, that I was just, you know, a double the in the middle of a sentence that my mm -hmm. brain was just helpfully hiding for me because it knew what I was trying to say. Yeah. yeah. So that's another thing that I'm finding helpful. And we, we actually get quite a few requests um, for uh, text to voice software within providing it. So people can use that sort of extra element. Completely. And um, I'm constructing an audio booth at the moment so that I can narrate my own nonfiction books. Oh, okay. And I am almost certain I will end up doing minor tweaks and revisions to the books, which I will then have to upload just because when you read aloud, it's yeah. a different, it's a different rhythm. It's a different um, pace. It's yeah. And obviously in order to get whisper sync, they have to be the same. So I can't, if I'm going to make changes, in the audio, I have to make them in the in the books as well. But yeah, right. totally. Um, okay, so when someone approaches their manuscript for the very first time, so a full draft of their manuscript, how do you advise they start editing, or, or what kind of process should they follow to, to get through their edit? I mean, it really varies. Um, again, this comes back to different writers have different processes. Um, we had Jerry B. Jenkins on as a guest on our one of our webinar series, and he and, and Chris were talking about their, they have a similar um, cycle of, so Jerry Jenkins, the following morning will read everything that he's written the day before and do an edit then, and then start his next edit. Um, Chris does it sort of once a week, writes for a week, and then starts the next week with his edit of the week before. Um, I think mine is probably longer. I go further, I, my cycle of, of reading and then editing and then, sorry, of writing and then reading and then editing, sort of my cycle is probably more like once a month. I'm more likely to do big chunks. And then other people just like to get the whole thing out and done and then start at the beginning which in some ways is more daunting because when you've got 60,000 completely unedited words ahead of you that can be you know that can feel like a too big a mountain to climb um so like I was saying before I I just divide it into small chunks I and I I work on I I sometimes work on one element through all the chapters. What I used to do is try and get the first chapter, all of the different elements perfect before I'd move on to the second one. But so as a result, I would have 
<laughs> all these projects with really, really solid first chapters. And then they just got worse and worse and worse as I lost momentum. And as I got bored of my, reading my own words. Um, so now I sort of choose one element, you know, just readability, just style or just grammar, just whatever, and go through as much as I can before starting on another element instead of several other ones. But, you know, it all depends on who you are and what your process is and how and what works for you. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't want anyone to try and pigeonhole themselves into into a hole that doesn't fit for them. Yeah. And I think that's that's so true, because the only way you sort your process out, I think, is by continuing to write books like you don't really, you know, it takes a few yeah. books before you really learn what your process is for. Um, yeah. And yeah. it could be different per genre as well. So yeah. I, I am yet to. Uh, well, I think I am getting there in terms of my process, but I write in a way that really does not help myself. So I don't write in order, um, mm. which is a pain in the ass in terms of keeping the story um, straight. Although I do have a outline, but it almost always veers off the outline. But um, what it does do is help me edit as I go. So I don't, I don't do all of the editing as I go, but I do do a solid chunk of the editing. So mm -hmm. when, by the time I get to the end, so let's say I start, writing the end and then I do a bit at the beginning and then I jump into the middle. By the time I have sort of 10 or 15,000 word chunks that are together, I can start piecing, piecing the, the book together. But in doing that, I then give it the, the overarching story arc edit. So by the time okay, I yeah. get to the end of the draft, because I, because I don't write in order, I have to reread sections quite a lot and I can't reread without editing. So, so, mm -hmm by the time I'm at the end of the story and it's full and it's knitted together, there doesn't really usually need to be any plot or, you know, arc story arc editing. It's only then the finessing of the, of the sentences. So mm -hmm. I try and do it. I, I, I guess I do, I do it. I do two edits in that. I do that one as I'm drafting and then I get beta feedback. Um, and I tend to then go through and just finesse the last bits before it goes off to an editor. But when I started, I had to do about 10 or 15 go-throughs because I just couldn't keep everything in my head that I needed to, to look at. There's so many different details that you need to edit. I just couldn't keep it in my head. So it's taken time to get to that point where I can, I subconsciously pick, pick it all up, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think when I, when I was younger, I always thought that I was a bit of a pantser. Like I just thought if you're, a, you know, I just had this imaginary vision of what writers should be like and I should just sit down at my lovely wooden desk and it should flow out of me and I should see where the story took me. Whereas now I'm, I've, I've really come full circle and I'm a real outliner now. Like I, I want to know where everything is going. You know, and like you with my book, I often will start at the end I'll do the last chapter first and then the first chapter and then sort of I'll have like a plan mm. that may that I may or may not veer from um yeah I mean it's tricky everybody's got their own system don't they and I, I think sorry. sorry go ahead oh I was just gonna say I don't think I've spoken to two writers who have ever told me the same system ever yeah. <laughs> which yeah. is just wonderful um okay yeah so well and it's practice it's figuring out what works for you because what works for you may not work for me and so exactly you have to try a lot of things in order to figure out what does work for you 
and write a lot of books as well like you have to because you know you can't just write one book I suppose and and no well you could I suppose be lucky one of the in fact if you are that lucky you're a bastard (laughs) 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 because I've had to suffer three thousands of years if it's hard for us it should be hard for you too yes suffer damn it no I'm joking (laughs) I'm kidding everyone I'm kidding sort of um okay right how can uh writers use pro writing aid to help them edit their manuscripts Okay, well, we've sort of, we've talked about that a bit. Um, I think we, we're, where ProWriting Aid excels is looking at the foundations and the, the scaffolding of your writing. So it's not going to be able to find your plot holes. It's not going to tell you if your characters are acting inconsistently. What it's going to do is help you understand how, how to if you think of writing as a tool, I mean, all writing is, the writing in itself isn't the important thing. The ideas are the important thing and the writing is how you get your ideas and your visuals and your description and your, every, your everything, your emotion, that's how you get it into the, to the ears of your, and to the heads of your readers. And so I think pro writing it is really good for helping you understand how that works and how, you know, even really, Things like having your verbs right at the front of your sentence is more engaging to your readers. You know, passive voice I keep bringing up, but it's one of those things that really irritates a lot of people if you have a lot of passive voice in your writing. But when you really think about it, if you think of authors as painting a picture for their readers, passive voice doesn't Passive voice is when you have the the doer of your action at the end of your sentence. So instead of saying John threw the ball. John's John's the doer of your action. Um, at the beginning of your sentence, you say the ball was thrown by John. And so, if you're trying to imagine that ball being thrown by someone, you can't really start to picture it in your head until you know that it's John that's doing the action. So, a lot of a lot of passive voice fixing is just putting the doer of the action right at the front, so that your reader can start to picture it. And so, it's all just about feeding feeding the ideas and the pictures and the emotions to your reader in the most direct, simple way. Make, make that road, you know, straight and clear so that the ideas are going straight in. Um, and there's, there's a lot of technical elements to it, you know, that I've learned over the years that are just small, simple ways of, of improving readability and hiding your verbs. Like that's another one that now that I understand it, I really love, like, instead of saying, Karen made a decision to leave Dave for another man. If you say Karen decided to leave Dave for another man, instead of Karen made a decision, that just opens up your verb and decided is a much more powerful verb compared to made. And that's one of those things that'll be flagged by pro writing aid. And it'll say, you know, is there, it's your readability will probably be improved if you, if you, change it to decided just because there's a bit more power in that and there's a bit more people understand that and get a better picture in their minds if you if you clear if you improve the readability and and make it more clear so that's sort of the where pro writing aid really works it's so funny you were talking about the the passive stuff i was i have in my latest book the anatomy of prose i have a bit of a rant about dialogue tags because there's obviously two ways you can do dialogue tags and both are correct 
So you can either do subject first, then the tag, or tag first, then the subject. So Becca said or said Becca. And I always think you should have Becca said, because the purpose of the tag is to identify the speaker, mm-hmm. which means by identifying it, you're putting the action first, meaning this, the reader can visualize quicker. Whereas yeah. if you do said Becca, it's the other way around. And for me, it feels much more passive um, because you are delaying the reader from um, identifying and picturing in their head, even even though it's by a word, like it counts. Like, you it know, counts. It yeah, does count. Yeah. I um, think so too. And obviously there is nothing wrong with writing said Becca, but um, I just think it makes your writing sharper to to write Becca said. I mean, there are obviously occasions when you have to do it the other way around and that's absolutely fine, but um, don't do it. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but there's, that's the thing is it's all of those tiny little changes eventually add up to an overall more concise feeling in your book you know every time that you like hide your verb away or or use your dialogue tag just further down all of those things all add up to to a more concise more readable more easily digestible book for your reader absolutely okay so you have written a book about characters so tell me what are some top tips for writers when creating side characters how do you make them memorable without overpowering the protagonist yeah that's really tricky isn't it um and it really varies on the book but i think a really good side character should primarily exist to show something about your main character and they, you know, there's a lot of ways that you can use side characters. Maybe they have a trait that your main character wants, or maybe they reflect a weakness of your main character, or they should they should contribute to the overall journey of your main character. And I'm I'm reading The Hunger Games right now with my son. And oh we just, my god. I was uh, literally just about to bring up The Hunger Games. Yeah, so, I was literally just about to. That's amazing. I mean, yeah. I read it years ago, but I'm reading it again with him and we just we just read the the very emotional part with Rue, which I won't say anything in case people haven't read it. There must be four or five people out in the world that haven't read The Hunger Games yet. But she's a really excellent character that that everyone really cares about, but really she exists so that Katniss can show that she's caring and that she the games haven't taken that from her and like Rue's vulnerabilities primarily exist so that Katniss can grow and move along on her hero's journey Mm. and sometimes that's tricky if you have a really good side character but that's the thing that you need to remember with side characters is they exist in order to move the narrative of your main character along and if they're and I think if they become <clears throat> excuse me too compelling that sometimes your readers can feel frustrated when they're stuck with your main character and just want to get back to your side character and that's not what you want then I think your side character needs their own book and their own story and I think that's where sometimes newer writers get it wrong is they create these amazing side characters that aren't that have their own interesting journey but that aren't explic- explicitly tied in with the main character 
Does that sound right to you? Yeah, absolutely. So in um, 10 Steps to Hero, I talk about a concept called um, the web of connectivity. And essentially that every book is a web and every strand in the book is connected to every other strand. And they all link back to the theme. And the Hunger Games, this is why I was going to bring up the Hunger Games. The (laughs) Hunger Games is just the most technically brilliant book because she... Um, she, every element is a reflection of every other element. So Rue and and Peter and, um, I forget the other guy's name, but the other chappie, they are, and even the villain are all reflections of Katniss. So the theme in the Hunger Games is sacrifice. Uh, well, okay. It's a, it's a lot more, it's, you know, if we're drilling it down to one word, the word is sacrifice. And Katniss obviously sacrifices herself in the very beginning to save her sister. But every side character is a different angle of sacrifice. Of sacrifice so yeah. Rue, you know, essentially ends up, and spoiler alert, but essentially ends up sacrificing herself to save Katniss. And, and Peter m- m- makes Katniss do lots of sacrifices, like when she has to go and get, um, I'm thinking about the film now, but when she goes and gets, um, you know, the medicine for him. And, you know, she's putting herself in danger for him. And um, ultimately, the villain is is the complete opposite. So President Snow sacrifices other people for his game, whereas Katniss sacrifices herself for other people's game. So they are a, a direct polar on each other. And every character, every side character, either makes her question something to do with sacrifice, it makes her do a sacrifice, it they sacrifice, or they are, you know, they're looking at all of the different angles of of the theme. And I mm-hmm. I just I'm like in awe because and, and I'm not saying it's you know literally speaking the best book in the world, but technically it is structured to perfection um when you look at the web of connectivity and yeah so i just yeah i love it i'm so glad you brought that up as an example well it's i mean my son has never read anything like it at the end of every chapter he's like nearly in tears begging me to to read more and tell tell him you know what to read next and it's i was a bit worried at the beginning because he's you know he's only he's only 10 and but i decided as long as we read it out loud together it's a really, it is a really interesting story and there's so much for us to talk about in there and we have great dinner time conversations about, you know, who's giving and who's taking and who's sacrificing and who's sacrificing others. I haven't used the word sacrifice with him, but, you know, it's all of those same concepts and it's, and it's great and he's, he's, he's in, which is good. I love it. I love that you're having conversations at dinner as well. Oh, <laughs> Yes, I can't wait. We're, we're, we're in a real struggle with our son at the moment because he is, um, his capability of reading is fantastic. He's probably, I mean, he's six, but he reads like an eight or nine year old. So he can read things that are far above his sort of social cognitive level, mm-hmm. emotionally, emotional level. So mm-hmm. that's probably the right, right way around it. But so the problem we're having is that, you know, lots of the books are like, you know, the biff and chip and kipper shite that you get at school which is yeah, so yeah. boring that he's like this is boring and he's losing his love of, of reading we're, we're reading graphic novels quite a lot at the moment mm-hmm. um, and I've gone out and got old school literally old school they're so cool retro Mario graphic novels and he's loving oh. it um, and they're they are testing him but he's still reading and that's 
that's the important thing to me. I don't really care what yeah. he reads so long as he's reading yeah. and, and do, doesn't lose that love of story. Um, but yes, I can't wait for the time when we can then like, cause my whole bookcase more or less is young adults. So I'm like, come on, you know, we Let's can go. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Need a couple but it's, it's really hard to decide when to introduce things. Like we have books that he's allowed to read on his own and books that he has to read with us so that mm. so that those more socially complex ideas you know we can stop and we can help him through them whereas on his own I think a lot of it would just go over his head and I don't think he would stop and ask if he's reading on his own but if we're reading it together you know, and it's really nice I mean there's I don't know how many people out there have a 10 year old that curls up in a bed with them every night just to like read books together so it's it's that is amazing yeah and you're so right my son i catch him all the time reading passwords that he's capable of reading but doesn't have the comp comprehension and, mm -hmm. and i'm like don't go past a word you don't know um mm. but uh but yes anyway anyway my favorite question of the podcast this is the rebel author podcast so tell me about a time you unleashed your inner rebel yeah so <laughs> I mean, this isn't overly, this is, this is work again that I'm going to tell you about. But when, when we first started doing all this pro writing aid stuff, most of my experience had been in, you know, much more traditional marketing, you know, with theater, it's, it's leaflets and it's, it's articles in newspapers and that sort of thing. So the whole world of, of digital marketing was really new to me and quite scary to me and it's quite intimidating. And so I decided I needed to teach myself digital marketing and, and, and in doing so I found all of these people, m mostly men who love like using jargon and statistics and they, you know, they, I'd be talking to them and they'd say, well, I used SEO long tail keyword optimization methods to show 570% growth and organic reach blah, blah, blah. and it just, I was like, oh, okay, I, I can't do this. I don't know what I'm doing because all of this stuff is, is like Greek to me. And then I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to step back from all of that and I'm going to figure out, I'm not going to get caught up in the tech and in the ads and in all these people that are trying to tell me how to do this thing. What I'm going to do is just listen to myself and figure out what I think we should do and, 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 and do it. And it felt, I know maybe that doesn't sound like me rebelling, but it, felt, it really felt like a brave thing to to do and you know imposter syndrome you know crept up and said what are you doing you don't know how to do this you know you don't know how to do digital marketing you don't know what long tail keyword optimization means <laughs> i do now um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but i so i just decided i wouldn't we wouldn't do much in the way of advertising we wouldn't do much in the way of you know google search and that sort of thing we were just going to make really good resources to so that we could offer people that we thought would find our our software useful, um, you know, put all of the articles out there explaining things about writing so that if people are looking up passive voice, for example, they'll end up on our blog and they'll learn about it. And then we can say, if you're interested in this, we have some software that will flag all instances of passive voice for you. And we just built it out from there and we've got and same thing with the, we've got a whole um, library of books that um, our premium users can download for free. Um, and we're doing all these webinars. And I just made the decision at some point after trying to 
get my head around all this stuff that didn't come naturally to me that I was just going to basically spend all of our marketing budget creating the resources that I wished were out there for me. And I did. And now we have 1.5 million users. And I, I think it worked. <laughs> OMG, that is insane. Yeah, That's amazing. Cool. And all that of that amazing. content on our blog has really resonated and people comment on it. And I think we get 70% of the people on our website find us because we've created all of this amazing content. And we've got a team of 10 uh, I think it's about 10 freelancers that regularly contribute and one is an expert in business writing and one is an expert in content and one is a former teacher and there's just they've they're providing really useful amazing content that you know isn't just chucking money at YouTube ads or banners on websites that may or may not work we've put it out there and people find it useful and so they become part of our community and it's great. I, I love that because I am not a huge fan of advertising. I've done, I spent thousands on Facebook ads and I just, I just, I don't, I don't enjoy it. I don't like the process of it. I don't like dealing with the data and the, the stats and the conversions and all that bullshit. Um, yeah. And I much prefer creating an ecosystem and doing things like this, providing content, providing lives, doing question and answer sessions, doing webinars. Yeah. Yeah. Wink, um, and, you know, uh, you know, providing providing resources, helping other people, I think is a far better use of my time perhaps not as useful for my fiction and I will have to continue doing ads for my fiction because I just mm. don't think um the ecosystem I just don't have the same ecosystem there you know yeah 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 to connect and help in that way um but yeah I love it I love that yeah. okay t tell listeners where they can find out more about you the books you've mentioned and also pro writing aid uh, so pro writing aid is just ProWritingAid.com. Um, all of the right at the top in the menu, there's um, a category called Learn, and that's where you can find um, the blog, which is then divided into um, different categories of writers. So there's there's a whole section of the blog that's for students, and a section that's for teachers, and a section that's for fiction writers. And so we've sort of tried to divide it up so that everyone can find. The, the resources that are useful for them. That's also where you can find our library. And we now do at least one, sometimes two free webinars a week. Um, we've got Sasha coming on on what, September 3rd um, who's to do some training, but we've reached out to all kinds of people um, in the writing world to just come in and offer up some free stuff. Um, so that's there. We've got a grammar guide, which will tell you everything you need to know about how to use commas and and all of the other you know, technical elements one, of grammar <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's all there um and i also just in case anyone's interested in pro writing aid i just made um a discount voucher um which will get you 25 percent off if anybody wanted to try it um and the code is rebel 25 so just capital letters r-e-b-e-l 25 amazing and i will put that in the show notes as well uh, so yeah thank you so much thank you very much for your time today i've had an absolutely awesome chat me with too you. this has been really fun i mean i, I love talking about writing and reading <laughs> and all of the things that go into it it's good to have right. someone else to nerd out with absolutely 
Okay, well, thank you very much to all of the show's patrons. If you would like to get early access to all of the episodes as well as lots of bonus goodies, then you can do so by visiting patreon.com forward slash Sasha Black. Thank you also to all of you wonderful listeners. I'm Sasha Black, you were listening to Lisa Lepke, and this was the Rebel Author Podcast. Next week, I'm joined by Kay Hutchison, and we have a wonderful, philosophical, deeply, um, I just, it brang me joy next week's conversation, and kind of ironic, because it's all about self-care, which I shite at but i did learn uh, lots of lessons and uh, took lots of things away and i hope that you guys will too don't forget to tune in and subscribe on your podcatcher and when you have a moment please leave a review